0: And Welcome to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, and unfortunately, the slightly radioactive climes of Western Japan. And again, that's not something that I'm just saying, that's something that I'm saying advisedly, as we'll see later on in tonight's broadcast. Of course, I am at CorbettReport.com and reporting from Western Japan, where I have been living for the past eight years now. And uh, unfortunately, as we saw last year, the Fukushima disaster really was an almost unthinkable disaster here in Japan and has really affected life in the eastern part of the the main island here for many, many, many tens and hundreds of millions of people. But unfortunately, uh, we now are starting to see some Interesting readings here in Western Japan as well, as uh, the Fukushima disaster continues to unfold. So once again, I would exhort listeners who haven't done so to check into my website, FukushimaUpdate.com. That's one word, FukushimaUpdate.com, where I am keeping a daily track of all of the latest news and information coming out of Fukushima. And yes, I was uh, not keeping the website up to date on a daily basis for a while there, but I am once again, If you, as you'll notice if you've been there in the last few days, I've been uh, posting a a slew of stories up and I'm going to be trying to be much more diligent about that as it strikes me that we are fast approaching the first anniversary of the Fukushima disaster, if you can believe it. It's been almost one year to the day uh, coming up in a few weeks here that the uh, the earthquake tsunami and the meltdowns began and the nightmare began for so many people in that area so we will definitely be covering that and we'll be getting into fukushima in a lot of different ways uh, over the next few weeks but certainly here tonight as we await the arrival of James Evan Pilato of foodworldorder.com as we usually have in the second half of our thursday night broadcasts well in the first half of tonight's broadcast we're going to be going through all of the latest fukushima news and going over some of the uh, the worrying signs coming out of northeastern japan And we will also be taking your phone calls. Once again, Thursday nights, we often open the phone lines wide open for anything you want to call in and uh, ask about or get your opinion on the air or ask my opinion or whatever you want to do. Please call in 1-800-313-9443 and we will get you on the air. As I say, lots of news coming out of Fukushima lately, including the latest story, which I just posted just seconds ago to FukushimaUpdate.com. Uh, Not a big story on the big scheme of things, but might be interesting to some of you out there. Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution is going to hold a Fukushima session at its 2012 Ocean Sciences meeting. So if you are lucky enough to be in Salt Lake City in uh, next week, actually Tuesday, you will be able to attend that special session, which will include talks by 15 different researchers, including two from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, so uh more information about that again posted up just seconds ago to fukushimaupdate.com and uh some it looks like they're going to be getting into some interesting subject matter for example a marine chemist named Ken Busler is going to be talking about um a study that he uh did with some stu- scientists from the US and Japan and Europe who did a uh, research cruise to study the fukushima derived radio nuclides radionuclides nuclides sorry in the water off of Japan and uh, during the uh, two-week cruise, the, the researchers collected more than 3,000 liters of water sample for analysis. So they're going to be focusing on cesium-137 and 134 surface distributions and looking at some of that. Um, there, there's a lot of things going on there, so I suggest you, again, take a look at that uh, that post up on FukushimaUpdate.com as the scientific community continues to parse what's uh, what's really going to be the long-term effects. And, of course, there's a whole drama behind that. But we'll get into some of the other uh, interesting updates, including uh, some that affect me here in Western Japan, as we go through uh, the Fukushima updates and take your calls tonight on Corporate Report Radio. And, of course, in the second half of tonight's program, we'll be talking to James Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com. James Corbett of com coming to you tonight with Fukushima updates from my other website, FukushimaUpdate.com. So if you want to follow along with tonight's episode, you can go to FukushimaUpdate.com. And if you're listening live, you will notice that uh, that right on the front page there, we're going to be going through the stories, the top stories Reverse chronologically, so we just went through the one that I just posted up minutes ago to the front page there, talking about that science meeting coming up next Tuesday for people in the Salt Lake City area to find out more about the ocean contamination of Fukushima, because, of course, the vast majority of the Fukushima fallout went into the ocean. As we've seen before for people who have been following the website for any time and saw that, really disturbing aqua chernobyl graphic uh before about the, the spread of contamination into the ocean again um some very i'm sure long lasting and very very uh worrying effects on the ocean certainly so that will be an interesting conference to keep our eye on and see what may come of that as uh, from what i've read online it seems like uh they're going to try to to formulate some japanese uh policy decisions that they can hand to the government to make about uh clean up and, 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 and containing the contamination to whatever extent is possible at this point, although almost a year in, it's uh, probably um, a bit of a lost cause at this point, but of course we can mitigate and try to understand the effects at any rate, but moving right along to the next most recent story on Fukushima Update, this morning I posted this one uh, via News.com, which again I will recommend to people who haven't checked out. It's an excellent source. It keeps up to the pretty much up to the minute with all the uh, the breaking information that's coming out uh, every single day on Fukushima. And this story quite worrying. Three earthquakes strike Fukushima in four hours. So this happened uh, in the early morning hours here in Japan, uh, from around midnight to around four a.m. There were three earthquakes, uh, not particularly huge earthquakes, M2.9, M3.7, M3.1, but uh, shallow earthquakes and very, very close to Fukushima. In fact, the last one that occurred in that sequence occurred 15 kilometers away from the Fukushima plant at a depth of 10 kilometers, so really too close for comfort, I would say. And uh there's some maps posted up along with this post, so you can go and actually see for yourself uh, where these these uh, earthquakes are taking place. and you can see how really close these earthquakes are to the plant itself and although they're small in size, again, being rather shallow and also being so close to the plant, I mean anything at this point is probably more uh, more than we need at that extremely sensitive location. Where so many things are already teetering on the edge, as we will hopefully get into as we plumb the depths of some of the uh, the latest stories. But uh, one of the reasons why I think this is significant comes from the related news stories I have posted up o- along in here, including this one from GG.com, GG Press. Inland quake may hit Fukushima nuclear plant study warns, and it's talking about a high possibility of a strong inland earthquake hitting the crippled nuclear power plant in Fukushima Prefecture, which experts are warning about in a new study, including a professor at Tohoku University. So again, you can read through that and find out more about that. It's uh, starting to make some headlines in some various publications around the web, so it's uh, probably one to keep our eyes on as, unfortunately, the, uh, the, the, danger doesn't go away just because, uh, the, the, the main earthquake and tsunami was in the past. Uh, in fact, it's, it's still there. And it's, in fact, from, some, from some of these reports, uh, Fukushima is at even greater seismic risk now than it was one year ago. And that's the headline of an informable.com article that's also linked up in that post. So once again, three earthquakes strike Fukushima in four hours. That's not a good sign for anything, uh, not a good sign for anyone. So once again, we'll have to keep our eyes on what's happening there and see how and if that affects the plant itself. But moving right along, uh, again, a story that's uh, that hits a little too close to home for me here in western Japan. And here's the headline, Radiation Monitors Spiking in Western Japan, and this is via enenews.com. Uh, it's from taking data from the National Radioactivity Concentration Graphs at atmc.jp. Basically, the uh, the MEXT, that's the Ministry of Something or Other here in Japan. Um, I should know that, but off the top of my head, I don't know what that uh, that is. But uh, the MEXT is monitoring uh, stations in western Japan, and they have shown a significant spike in radiation, including the highest levels in at least 100 days. So you can go check the uh, the charts for yourself. Um, again, in and of itself, maybe not so worrying, but it's uh, from numerous different locations, Nagasaki, Saga, Kochi, and Oita, all showing uh, the exact same spike in radiation readings, so there is definitely something, uh, something going on, and when coupled with some of the bizarre readings coming out of Reactor 2 recently, which TEPCO is trying to blame on a broken thermometer, it starts to get worrying indeed. And uh, again, it's something that we have to keep our eyes on, and I will certainly be doing so at FukushimaUpdate.com. Uh, moving right along, we have uh, this one from Reuters, which I posted up last night uh, here in Japan. That would have been yesterday or this morning for you uh, in in uh, the U.S. Uh, JGov won't seek control over TEPCO as bailout condition. So as part of this 1 trillion yen capital injection that uh, the Japanese government is planning to do for TEPCO, because of course TEPCO is teetering on the edge and would certainly collapse if it was left to its own devices, well, the Japanese government is going to uh, inject a trillion yen, that's uh, $12.8 billion, into the company to keep it afloat. And uh, people who have been watching Fukushima Update might have noticed uh, a couple of days ago I posted a story that was showing the some of the ways that that could break down, whether they would ask for voting rights, and if so, how much would they ask for, and would it be a controlling share of voting rights in the company and, and all of this. Which is a pretty important question for a lot of people, uh, certainly uh, here in Japan, who want to know how their money is going to be used to bail out this private company. Well, no, it turns out the Japanese government is going to take that trillion yen and flush it down the toilet and not ask for anything in return. Um, in this via Reuters again. Quote, a state bailout fund for Tokyo Electric is likely to agree to less than 50% voting rights, despite its planned one trillion yen capital injection but will seek more if the troubled utility does not improve, Sankei newspaper reported on Thursday. The fund will raise its voting rights in the operator of the Fukushima nuclear plant to two-thirds or more by converting non-voting shares if the power utility is deemed not making enough progress in rationalization and other efforts, the paper said. Yes, because TEPCO has proven itself to be such a great steward of the public trust so far that we, we definitely need to have them Uh, taking care of their own affairs even after this 12.8 billion US dollar injection into their company by the Japanese taxpayers, who once again are getting put on the hook for the problems caused by the corporatocracy. So it must be great to have one of those golden parachutes like these people uh, in these companies always have, where they can create problems of immense scale and scope that can't even be accurately comprehended or even understood at this point that may have ramifications for years decades centuries into the future that can literally destroy our earth if uh, if if the worst case scenario happens and uh, unfortunately they uh, get their little golden parachute and uh, the governments will just continue pumping money into them until uh, until the cows come home really um, because certainly the uh, the Japanese people have to pay for the sins of this one company. Or that's the, uh, that's the idea they want us to go by. Moving right along backwards in time, uh, again we're going, uh, back reverse con- chronologically here. We have a day 342 update, so I'm doing the daily updates as well as uh, the, the stories. So if stories deserve their own post, I'll give them their own post. Otherwise, I'll kind of collect them into a daily update. So this is day 342 since the accident, and that's counting from Japan, not from uh, the U.S. So as you know, we're across the da- date line here. But day 342 yesterday, uh, the headline story that I posted up, documents show Japan, U.S. at odds over IAEA nuclear inspections talking about uh, the IAEA in the late 1960s and uh, some of the diplomatic cables that were going back and forth uh, between Japan and Sweden and Switzerland. At the time, talking about the IAEA and inspections and things like that, a bit uh, historical, but still, I think, an interesting story for people who want to know the background of this, because suddenly uh, atomic energy becomes, once again, a hot topic. So I think it, it certainly does behoove us to understand a little bit of the history and how this all came together. Some of the other stories that were posted up in that update. Reactor 2 temperature steadily trending downward. Is gauge broken? For That's from enenews.com. Nuclear evacuation drill held in Ehime Prefecture. Uh, of course, there are radi- nuclear uh, reactors all around Japan, um, dozens of them. But uh, in fact, I, if I'm not mistaken, within a few weeks, all, every single one of them will be shut down for uh scheduled maintenance uh of course uh, obviously being shut down and not restarted at the moment because of what happened at fukushima last year and uh it's in very very interesting to watch what's going to happen in the next few months and years as uh, the governors and the people of these various places will fight to keep these pla- uh, these reactors closed down and we'll see and we'll see if this gives the lie to the idea that japan needs nuclear power in the first place because All of these reactors are shutting down, and hey, look, lo and behold, we still have power here in Japan. I wonder how that happens. So we'll see. We'll see how this affects uh, the economy. We'll see how it affects uh, the people here, and we'll see what happens. But it's an interesting thing that's happening here. Uh, Japan Times reporting uh, nuclear safety boss faults agency and utilities. Well, Department of the Bleeding Obvious there. Uh, Also from Japan Times, Hamaoka locals evasive on no nuke future. And Daily not Naraha Mayor opens a nuclear waste dialogue. Outcome Magazine reporting Japan firms plan wind farm near Fukushima, according to a report. So trying to replace that nuclear power. Although wind farms are not the way to go for anyone who's actually looked into that scam. Um, absolutely one of the biggest scams out there, but at any rate. Uh, and also SteelGuru.com talking about bulk carrier docks in Fukushima to discharge coal, apparently the first coal shipment to discharge in that area since the disaster took place. So again, lots coming out on a daily basis at FukushimaUpdate.com and I am keeping my eye on it the best I can so I hope you will be joining me there on a daily basis for the latest updates. And again, the phone lines are open. We have one caller waiting on the line. If you want to get in, it's 1-800-313-9443 and we'll be back with your calls right after this. Welcome back, friends. You're tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting. And I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com and FukushimaUpdate.com. And tonight we've been going over some Fukushima updates and news, again, being updated on a daily basis there. So I hope you are checking that out and using that as the resource that it is on all of the latest breaking news and information from Fukushima in northeastern Japan. Of course, the stricken radioactive uh, slag heap of the nuclear power plant that is continuing to present various problems, and uh, and we might get into some of that, but coming up, of course, next uh, segment is Food World Order with our friend James Evan Palato of foodworldorder.com, so we'll be shifting gears a little bit. Before we get into that, we have one caller waiting patiently on the line. We have Brock all the way from Australia, so let's go straight to him. Brock, uh, thanks so much for uh, calling in.
1: Hi, James. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you just fine.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh... First of all, just wanted to say it's really, really great to talk to you. I've been following you and uh, James James Collider's work for at least a few years now, and, um, you know, it's really fulfilling, and I just want to thank you so much for uh, all your work
0: and professionalism. Well, thank you for for tuning in, and thank you for uh, helping to spread the word about this information, which is the way that it helps to spread out, and uh, that's the most important key to all of this.
1: Absolutely. Um, Basically, I just had... Two things to ask you. Um, my wife and I are coming to Japan in October of this year, and I just wanted to get a kind of your opinion on uh, some of the things you've been doing to, you know, kind of uh, mitigate the effects of what happened in uh, on three eleven. And secondly, just also, uh, I just wanted to get a general sense of, you know, how the Japanese people are actually coping with this uh, tragedy.
0: Very good questions. Are you coming for a short time, or are you relocating to Japan?
1: No, I'll, I would love to relocate there at some stage, but um, we're coming for three weeks.
0: I see. Uh, well, uh, it, again, it depends what, what area of the country you're going to be in. Um, I, I'm assuming you'll probably be in Tokyo or in Osaka. Uh,
1: not necessarily, no. We're flying into Osaka, and we're actually going to stick to more of the western side of Japan, the um, Osaka, Kyoto, uh, Akijama, ton of
0: areas. Yes, absolutely. Well, that that would be what I'd recommend. I think the eastern side is uh, somewhat more dangerous at this point, and uh, that's why I. I Personally, I, I don't go in that area right now, but certainly in terms of what I do at a personal level to, to try to mitigate the, the effects, as I say, the thing that, that concerns me absolutely the most, although those recent radiation spikes that are being picked up in the monitors are, are extremely worrying, so I want to know what that's about, but but the thing that's been worrying me uh, basically for the last several months now is the food supply. And again, it's uh, it can be pretty difficult to, to really source where your food's coming from. Luckily, I obviously i read a bit of japanese and i can i can understand you know which prefecture the various vegetables are coming from and luckily enough here they actually do label each all the vegetables you know what what prefecture is coming from assuming you can trust that but um but that's the way i've been attempting to do that and of course i've been avoiding seafood uh, of any sort because uh, anything that's being caught anywhere near that that region is just going to be contaminated um, if you've seen the, the, some of the spread, uh, sp- uh, the maps showing the, the spread of the contamination in the ocean, it's just a lost cause anywhere on that eastern side of the, the country, basically. So, uh, so, avoiding seafood and uh, and watching what kind of vegetables you're eating. Of course, if you're eating out or eating in restaurants or that sort of thing, it's it's that much more difficult. And certainly, if if you don't speak Japanese, it would be uh, almost impossible to make sure you know where your food's coming from. I'm actually uh, just—I started recently last month to learn
1: Japanese to kind of uh, help my to, to you know to help me uh, when I'm over there.
0: Well, that's uh, that's all we can advise. Uh, uh, hopefully, for a few weeks' uh, time, it's not going to be uh, you know life affecting. But uh, but absolutely, yep. you should be as careful as you can about about where you're sourcing your food. Again, I think the food is the main supply, uh, the main source of concern for a lot of people out here in Western Japan. But uh, but as I say, I mean, it's a beautiful country. As to your other question, um, talking about the the way the people are reacting to it, I think the uh, the thing that's really surprised me through this entire crisis is that how calm the uh, the people have been about this, and how I mean, it's it's not even something that you really hear people talking about very much. Um, it's it is on the news, and they do they are talking about it in the media, but uh, but people don't tend to to even really. Uh, put in their conversations, at least not in this part of the country. I'm sure it would be much more on the minds of people in the eastern part of the country. And that's a good and a bad thing because it means that the society isn't disintegrating and falling apart and, and all, all of that. But it also means, well, uh, where's the outrage? Um, there should be a lot more outrage about the way these people have been lied to for the past year by both the government and TEPCO and the, and the nuclear watchdogs all watch, working in unison, as unfortunately we've seen unfold. So, so I, I think you'll find uh, that, that life looks pretty much like it would have, you know, a year ago, for at least on the western part of the country, and uh, you probably won't notice anything on the surface level.
1: Okay, great. Uh, well, I won't take up too much of your time. Um, yeah, just uh, thank you once again um, to you and to Pilato. Um, as I said, you guys really, really uh, have a knack for um, getting the information out in a positive and coherent way. Um, and, uh, yeah, take care.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, Brock. Please take care on your vacation. I hope it goes okay. And uh, once again, Japan's a beautiful country, and it's, it's a shame to see this happening here. So, so take care, and thank you for calling in and uh let me just uh bring one more story to people's attention before the break here before James comes up reactor 2 thermometer updates uh go to fukushima update it's on now on the second page i i suggest people take a look at that because as i said reactor 2 is having some well really bizarre things going on right now and uh and it's something to keep our eye on they're calling it a, a temperature gauge uh thermometer problem but i think it's something more than that At any rate, I'll let you go read that for yourself. And after the break, we've got James Evan Pilato of foodworldorder.com.
2: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
0: Beautiful night, my friends. Oh, what a beautiful night! Depending on what part of the planet you're living on, and if you're not in northeastern Japan, I suppose. Well, tonight we've been talking about Fukushima update and Fukushimaupdate.com, and we're now going to transition over to talking about the Food World Order with our friend James Evan Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com. And in order to do that, we're going to uh, transition with a uh, a very apropos story that I posted up yesterday, too, Fukushima Update. Uh, Fukushima Ambassadors to Eat and Support East Japan. This coming from the excellent XSKF, again, another uh, site that I will definitely recommend for people who haven't been checking it out. He does a lot of great uh, translations of a lot of stuff that's, that's only available in Japanese. He makes it available in English, so... A very valuable resource there, and this story, uh, just uh, one of those ones that just make you shake your head. Quote, the Japanese government is going to make those these young women eat food from the nuclear disaster-affected Tohoku and Kanto to support the recovery. This is simply beyond my comprehension. Some on Twitter call it student mobilization, just like during the World War II, the government knowingly putting young people in danger so they can remain in their positions a while longer. And then it quotes uh, from this uh, this document announcing this uh, Japanese government uh, program. It says, Miss Campus to become ambassadors to support the disaster recovery, says Ministry of Agriculture, for- agriculture Forestry, and Fisheries. To support the agriculture, forestry, sand, fisheries industries in the dis- and, <laughs> that should be and, f- fisheries <laughs> industries in the disaster affected areas, the Ministry of Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries appointed nine Miss Campus Beauty Queens on nine campuses, including Aoyama Gakuin University and Gakushuin University, as Eat and Support Student Ambassadors on February 15th. The nine young women will participate in activities not only for the disaster recovery but also for impro- improving the food self-sufficiency rate. Oh, well that sounds good. We're all for food s- self-sufficiency here, so that should be a great thing. Well, James of foodworldorder.com, what's what do you make of this story?
2: I first want to say, you know, thank, thanks again for having me and I would say, you know, Fukushima Update and ENE News and X SKF probably make the kind of holy trinity I think of, you know, Fukushima related stories and those those are really the go-to sites i've Isn't never been compared to the christ before but um but thank you for that <laughs> to, to what <laughs> to the christ oh, okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but this one is you know it's a really it's it's a disturbing one just on its face because as it said and there's the photo to go along with it so folks of course need to go see the story where it it's you know the japanese government is going to make these young girls you know eat eat food and again it's all about a you know propaganda public relations kind of push
0: that's exactly right and as I, I've always said I mean I think the food supply is the main concern for people here so if they can get people to uh, to go along and, and mindlessly eat it all up uh, in as a way of supporting Eastern Japan what what's that's just the ultimate propaganda and the ultimate uh, death sentence for some people and I, I again I don't say that lightly there was a story earlier this year about or actually it would have been late last year about a TV newscaster who had been eating um, Fukushima area foods uh, yeah, as a way of supporting eastern japan who came down with a a rare form of thyroid cancer and died last year so again again it's one of those things you can't prove it you can't
2: you can't definitively say yep it came from eating that food but uh but you know if this if the shoe fits well and that almost reminds me in a way of some of the more recent reporting on on 9-11 ground zero you know the scientists saying you know it's going to reach the point where we're not going to be able to say you know so-and-so got his cancer from smoking, and so-and-so got his cancer from ground zero, where, again, you know, the, the air was safe to breathe.
0: Huh.
2: Huh, yes. Trust
0: your government. They'll never lie to you. <laughs> All right. Well, well, let's switch over to foodworldorder.com,
2: and what have you got for us on the menu tonight? Well, and it seems so light in a way, and and not important. But I also actually want to say, and I, I mentioned this to you just briefly in, in the break there, that it was great to hear Brock from Queensland, Australia, and he has been, you know, a great, a great supporter of Media Monarchy, news tips, and, and all kinds of other things. So yeah, that was great. To as soon as you said we've got Brock from Australia, I was like, oh sweet, yeah. So yeah, th- that I love that, and and to be able to come on here and to hear those folks and to be able to take those calls, I, you know, is a, is an extra great step. So on the on the lighter note, James, we'll we'll start out with the easier stuff and get into the down and dirty in the in the binge and purge in a little while. But from yet again Reuters, Kellogg's to buy Pringles from Procter and Gamble for 2.7 billion dollars. Kellogg Company agreed to buy Pringles potato chips from Procter and Gamble for 2.7 billion dollars in a cash deal that will nearly triple the cereal maker's international snack business. The transaction will also let household goods maker P&G, Procter & Gamble, finally leave the food business after its agreement with Diamond Foods Incorporated fell apart. Shares of Kellogg, which is aiming to expand a snack portfolio, I love international snack business and snack portfolios, that, that already includes Keebler cookies, Cheez-It crackers, and Kashi snack bars. Kashi being one of the numerous items that, you know, you'll find in grocery stores that Again, it's a little better than your average conventional kind of product. But, you know, once you kind of peel back the label, you'll see, oh, that's owned by Kellogg's or, oh, that's owned by Kraft or Nestle. But I digress. Their their stock initially went up on this news and then I think immediately was turned around as as I think Moody's and S&P all said, oh, actually, this might be a bad move. But adding Pringles chips to the mix will increase the size of their snack business to where it will amount for as much of total revenue as its well-known cereal business, the world's largest, with brands like Chilke and Rice Krispies. Procter & Gamble had agreed to sell Pringles to Diamond Foods Incorporated last year, but that deal fell apart this month following discovery of improper accounting that led Diamond to replace its chief executive and finance chief, and the U.S. government is looking into Diamond's accounting practices currently. Diamond said on Wednesday, that would be the 15th here in the States yesterday, that it doesn't have to pay any breakup fee and its shares rose nearly 5%. And with Diamond's future unknown, some analysts have begun to question the attractiveness of its snack food brands, kettle, potato chips, and pop-secret popcorn to another buyer. Now, James, the kettle part is interesting to me because they were recently, they were owned by a U.K. firm called Lion Capital, which again shows you a lot of times our food companies aren't owned by people who care and love and are passionate about food just as you know the people who run record companies don't necessarily love and are passionate about music it's just another widget to sell and to diversify their portfolio but kettle chips are actually still based out of salem oregon and i've got a bag sitting next to me and i'll admit they're kind of a you know an an indulgence an indulgence indeed. Well, um,
0: well, I I shudder at the thought of sounding like CNBC here or something. But uh, but really, who's the winner in this deal?
2: I don't know if anyone is. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. I guess it doesn't really matter. It's just the uh, shifting of uh, of another corporate uh, beast around on the uh, on the old
2: chessboard. But um, but yeah, there you go. Pringles. Well, it is. I, I, I add a little graphic from from a UK source. And and again, I'll tell folks in, in all my postings on, on all my sites, I always try and add in all those extra bits and links. So if it says, you know, a report was released, I'll go and try and find that report and link up the PDF for you and Add in other, and let me just attest to that because uh, it is
0: definitely useful for the type of things that I do, where I'm trying to collect, you know, the source documents and things. So I do appreciate that. And I didn't even notice that graphic was British until you mentioned it, and now I see. Oh yeah, 955 million pounds. Well,
2: and and it also says that (laughs) in the rise and rise of Pringles, they were created to answer customer complaints that crisps too easily cracked Ah, stale. So another <laughs> oh crisps oh, no
0: crisps are nine hundred fifty five million pounds. Well, That's
2: all right. I'm, my my parents were British, so oh yeah, allowed okay. to, you're allowed, to, do allowed that. to make fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's we can flip entirely and and get a lot simpler with a story that originally comes from wsbt dot com. And again, I would like to try and find a lot of stories that you know may be. Specific to a place, whereas you know this this story that we're about to talk about is specifically out of and sourced from Indiana. But I think doing those kind of stories gives people the kind of microcosm, and they'll look at it and go, "Hey, I think that's happening in my town," or "Or oh geez, I wonder if that's happening in my town." But Indiana's Amish food markets seeing growth, and and I'll just briefly read. Even though Schmuckers, not to be confused with Smuckers and the aforementioned mega corporations. Even though Schmucker's Produce Farm and Greenhouse has been in business since 1964, it doesn't have a sign on the property, something not uncommon among Amish-owned businesses. Many do little or no advertising, and a few don't even have phones. But lately, more people have been finding their way to Amish food sellers, sometimes driving long distances to shop, says Gary Zare, president of the Merchants Association in Chipshawana, Indiana, a regional Mecca for those seeking Amish-style food. Lately, more are straying from the tourist-beaten path to discover food purveyors, even using the bulk and specialty markets, bakeries, and meat and cheese shops for periodic grocery shopping. James, I'd see this as an amazingly positive move—the people going somewhere, people who just are passionate about the food, and you don't even have to tie on any kind of, you know, religious or you know, moral overlay to it.
0: Yeah, well, I I haven't clicked through to the uh, the source article. I haven't read the whole thing yet. But uh, but does it go on in any way to interrogate why this is happening?
2: I'm not sure if it does off the top of my head. Um, I think they just kind of talk to some of the different businesses and. Oh, I see. You know, I, everything looks so good and prices are wonderful.
0: And uh, no, no preservatives says Howard Yoder, who scoots around the small country lane bakery he owns, yeah. So I mean, they do start to touch on some of it, but I mean, clearly, why are people flocking to to Amish-owned businesses that, to to buy their food? Well, clearly, because uh, they they want food that's actually food, not the genetic monstrosities that were mm. unfortunately more and more uh, are being shoved down our throats. So, uh, so yes, it is a positive sign, and it does once again go to show that there are alternatives, and that it, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes we have to go out of our way, and we have to do things that are that are more costly or more difficult, but uh, but if they can be done, and if we can. Direct our dollars away from the mega corporations and towards, you know, little uh, operations that that are actually we know where the food is coming from. Then
2: how could it not be a positive thing? And and I believe we've seen Amish communities be kind of on the front lines. I think of also the raw milk crackdown. And, uh, that am I right?
0: As for, yeah, as far as I know, that absolutely that's that's something that's uh, that's a huge huge issue. And I I you have a raw milk
2: post. Oh, I do. See, and that's, you know, again, James, things kind of move so so quickly that I have to go, oh, that's right, I do, and it's still probably on the on the front page of Food World Order. Yeah. Whether you like raw
0: milk or not, it has been part of mankind's diet for thousands of years, which is why I find it suspicious when the government insists that you can only drink a particular form of milk in which the nutrients have been destroyed. Yeah, well, uh, again, people can take a look at that. Questions about raw milk, ask a farmer, right there on the front page of com. Um, because absolutely, I mean, raw milk—just uh, another one of those things that the government presumes to have the authority to be able to tell you that you can't put in your own body. Ridiculous.
2: Well, and that and that story from from brasschecktv.com sources and and cites a story from the Globe and Mail about the Queen of England and the royal family—they're all yeah. raw milk drinkers. So you know, again, it shows another way that when you look at the elites, they know what's up. Yes, yes. Don't do what they do.
0: We, we should be content with whatever they, they, they let us have, whatever like scraps cringless. we're allowed to have at the bottom.
2: <laughs> Ridiculous. Like well, I think cring- we should get to a binge and purge. We're running out I, of time. I think we should. And this is actually where some of the more, you know, heavier and probably more important stories go. And again, I'll just quickly tell folks, the binge and purge is something I post up on, on Thursdays, and it's just a list of headlines that just didn't, for whatever reason, get their own post on the page. But it begins with a story that I cite from medicalnewstoday.com. Organic food can have high concentrations of arsenic. And it cites a paper called Arsenic Organic Foods in Brown Rice Syrup, showing that so much of this is coming from the arsenic in brown rice and then only compounding and become more concentrated when it's turned into syrup. So that goes into, you know, the aforementioned cereal bars and, and sports bars and even baby food at concentrations as much as six times above the EPA safe level for drinking water, James.
0: Well, it does go to show that, uh, that absolutely, just because something's organic or has that label does not necessarily mean it's safe, and we still have to be careful about what we're putting in our bodies, and we still have to be knowledgeable about it. I mean, we can't just rely on, on these types of labels
2: as sort of the solve, mm-hmm. solve all our problems kind of thing for, for food safety. So I link to the abstract of where this is published in Environmental Health Perspectives. They have not posted the full article yet, but that, again, when they do, that'll point right to the the PDF. EU and Europe reach organic trade deal, James. This one from SummitCountyVoice.com. And a huge move for organic producers and consumers, the U.S. and European Union said this week that organic products certified in Europe or in the United States may be sold as organic in either region. The formal agreement, again, with the link to the PDF for you, was signed February 15th in Nuremberg, Germany. The partnership was touted as establishing a strong foundation from which to promote organic agriculture and benefiting the growing organic industry to support jobs and businesses on a global scale. Is this a good story? I mean, is this positive? I don't see it that way yeah
0: i i fail to see why this is a good thing i mean nope. it's good in terms of cross uh, cross atlantic trade i suppose but again is that really going to be benefiting the small organic farmers or the big you know industrial operations and the big agri type things i mean clearly this isn't about the little guy and it's uh, just part of that race to the bottom that's inherent in all of the bureaucratic decisions about uh, food safety standards and things i mean obviously There are different standards for what uh, qualifies for organic in U.S. and E.U., so I'm
2: assuming they're just going to be dumbing it down to the lowest level. Maybe this next one will will answer the question from TheAtlantic.com. Organic farmer Prince Charles on changing our faulty food system. He's got a new 46-page book called On the Future of Food. That's basically a speech he gave in D.C. a few months ago. So, again, we return to the quote-unquote royal family who have
0: their uh, little uh, organic farmers and their butlers uh, follow them around the world when they go to give speeches in places like Washington, D.C. So there you go. I, I guess he knows what he's talking about. And to his credit, I mean, Prince Charles was uh, was saying things about uh, about the GM genocide in India that I mentioned in my recent uh, GRTV backgrounder, talking about uh, patenting life. And, uh, and he was one of the few people who were standing up and, and saying anything about that, and, and the farmers in India who have been killing themselves because they were... Uh, sold a bunch of, uh, magic seeds that they were told would end all of their problems. But of course, uh, that didn't exactly happen and they all ended up going into huge amounts of debt because the, uh, the seeds, the GM seeds come with that Terminator technology, meaning that they can't even save the seeds and plant them again the next year. Or so, so again, I mean, there are some good things that come out of it and I guess Prince Charles his awareness of things like that, which isn't good. But obviously, I mean, clearly, it's, uh, it's a question of uh, do as I as I say, not as I do, because uh, clearly he doesn't want the vast majority of people to, to have access to the fresh foods that he does. But at any rate, we'll take a short break, and we will come to wrap things up right after this break. the final minutes of Corbett report radio i'm james corbett of CorbettReport.com and tonight is thursday night so once again we're being joined online by james evan Pilato of foodworldorder.com and we're going through his roundup of stories from around the world uh, from the past week the binge and purge that was posted up earlier today and we've gone through some of them but let's uh, let's wrap things up here with the last few stories james so uh, let's let's head on to the next story
2: leader gets a taste of the heartland. China's leader in waiting, Xi Jinping, gathered with U.S. agricultural officials in America's green belt today and stressed their shared interest in fostering increased trade in farm goods. So he's hanging out with Monsanto creature Vilsack, who's of course the head of the Ag Department here in the States. I found it really interesting, this one little quote, James. This is away from the sound and the fury of the cities, and the air here is very fresh, said Xi Whose first visit to the United States was an Iowa farm study tour and homestay in 1985. So he's bringing it full circle. Here is definitely a positive one, and, and I found this on blogs originally and, and realized it's sourced back to Reuters, so I wanted to make the link to that main page so folks would see that this is the reality. Monsanto guilty of chemical poisoning in France. A French court on Monday declared U.S. biotech giant Monsanto guilty of chemical poisoning of a French farmer, a judgment that could lend weight to other health claims against pesticides. Cuba reports food output up 8.7% in 2011. Again, returning to the EU, Food Safety Agency in the EU faces fresh criticism. That's from GMWatch.org. Obama's budget cuts bacteria testing in produce, and that comes from the Associated Press. The budget plan sent to Congress this past Monday would ax the Agricultural Department's tiny microbiological data program, which extensively screens high-risk fresh produce. Jimmy John's sprout break, fourth outbreak in four years. It's a fast food chain here that has constant outbreaks. And from the no surprise department from etocracy blog, man suffers heart attack while eating triple bypass burger at heart attack grill. (laughs) And James, in closing, an obituary from the New York Times. Nello Ferrara, creator of Lemonhead's Candy, dies at the age of 93, and he invented a lot of other candies. And, again, another interesting bit. One of the candies is called the Atomic Fireball, and it was invented after Nello Ferrara served in Japan after World War II. A veritable Willy Wonka. Who knew?
0: Um, interesting. Well, that Monsanto story is hardening because, once again, it goes to show that when people stand up against the corporations, they can have an effect. And once again, uh, we find that uh, the, the big corporations are vulnerable when people actually take them to, to court and do things uh, to, to try to stop them from they their rain and it can have an effect and they people can win and it can take years and it can be extremely painful for people in a lot of different ways but eventually they can win exactly like Percy Schmeiser that uh, that famous uh, Canadian uh, canola farmer who uh, who was the one that's that was the the center of that that story about uh, his crops got infected with the gm uh foods and 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 uh he he actually got sued by Monsanto for infringing on their patent. Well, you know, it's a story that, that a lot of people know, but a lot of people don't know that he actually eventually won, and he won compensation from Monsanto, at least, the uh, damages to clean up his field. Uh, so, so, again, people can stand up, they can win, and India is currently... Uh, th- Threatening to bring uh, charges against Monsanto for biopiracy, which I go over in my latest GRTV backgrounder. So, so again, Monsanto is not invulnerable. These corporations that presume to own the world do not really, and uh, we can have an effect. So, once again, James, thank you again for all of this uh, news and information.
2: Thanks so much, man. I appreciate
0: it, and I appreciate all of you out there for listening and for phoning in and for all of the things that you guys do on your end. I couldn't do it without you. So, until that, uh, until tomorrow night. Once again, thank you for listening, and take care.